Welcome to the South Elkhorn Christian Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the weekly messages. For bulletin material, reflection guides, and other resources, visit southelkhorncc.org. Ek maso. Ek maso. You're going to learn Greek today. Go ahead and say it with me. Ek maso. Ek maso. Turn to your neighbor this morning and say, Ek maso. You, there you did it. You just learned Greek. This word ekmaso is going to be incredibly important today. And it's incredibly important to a story that we have an invitation to enter more deeply coming up in a few weeks. Ekmaso means to wash, to wipe, to clean. Ekmaso is a word that um, is important to a special worship service that you'll be invited to coming up during Holy Week. So we're just a few weeks, just a week or so actually from Holy Week. Holy Week starts on Palm Sunday next week, uh, in which I'm especially excited that Reverend Dr. Don Gillette II will be joining us to bring a special message. Um, Don Gillette has been here before, used to serve at East 2nd Street Christian Church, and is now the regional minister and president for the Christian Church in Kentucky, our regional minister. That begins uh, Holy Week, which is the time when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and stares down the shadow of the cross. He goes through this week leading up to his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, his death. And then we celebrate the mystery, wonder, beauty, surprise of God's love conquering death and all the destruction of this world and Jesus rising from the grave. Easter Sunday, resurrection, new life, love wins. Before that, though, in the middle of Holy Week, on Thursday, we remember the story of Jesus gathering his disciples in the upper room. And every week, it's our tradition, our custom at South Elkhorn during Holy Week to have a service called Maundy Thursday, which admittedly is one of the most confusing worship service names, especially if you hear it as Monday Thursday. I mean, which day is it, right? Monday, it's not Monday Thursday, it's Maundy Thursday. You can find the spelling of it in your bulletin this morning or on our website, Maundy Thursday. And it's, it's this weird Latin word, Maundy, which comes over in English and other words like mandate, commandment, from mandatum, which means to command, to mandate. So we might better think of Maundy Thursday as commandment Thursday, because on, on that night in the upper room, Jesus gathered his disciples and did some amazing things. One, he took simple elements from their meal, bread and a cup, and he imbued these elements. He conferred meaning onto these elements that connected to his life and his story and living out God's love. He says, this bread isn't just bread. It symbolizes my very body broken open for you that all might take of it and find a new kind of fullness and life. This cup is not just a cup. It's not just wine. No, it's, it's like the very life energy of God which heals and forgives and makes new. And we remember that every Sunday around this table, but that wasn't the only thing that Jesus did in the upper room. In John's gospel, Jesus did some other things. One, he turned to his disciples and he says, y'all better love one another. A new commandment, commandment Thursday, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. This is how the world's going to know you're my disciples. This is how the world is going to know about your faith in God, that you love each other, love. And Jesus did something else in the upper room. 
He took off his tunic, he got down on his hands and knees, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. He began to show them the very love he was commanding them to live out. He enacted the new commandment in this beautiful, symbolic way in which he, he left his high status as teacher, as the Son of God, as the Messiah, and he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes their dirty, exhausted, worn-out, tired feet that had been following him from the Galilean hill country and the lake shore, through town after town, through crowd after crowd, right there into that upper room, and that would follow him right into the city of Jerusalem, the dense, urban, dusty streets of Jerusalem. He got on his hands and knees, and he washed their feet. And even when they said, no, 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 that's not how this is supposed to work. You're not supposed to wash my feet, Jesus. He persisted. He washed all of their feet. Love one another as I have loved you. A love that heals and makes new and that tends to wounds and tiredness and exhaustion. And the word used there is ekmaso. Jesus ekmasoed their feet. In a few weeks, you'll be invited to this Monday Thursday service in which we enter that story in a beautiful and special way to prepare our hearts for Good Friday and for Easter Sunday. You'll be invited to come forward and share in the communion um, elements. You'll be given those prepackaged elements, but you'll come forward and receive blessing over those elements. And you'll be invited forward to ekmaso, to be washed, to be cleansed. Don't worry, you'll keep your shoes on. Instead, you'll be invited forward for a hand blessing, to have the waters poured over your hands, to experience this story in its tangible depth and beauty, to experience what love poured out might mean for you in a personal way, to experience scripture and prayer, silence, ekmaso, and communion, and the very love of God in Jesus Christ. I hope you'll attend. I hope you'll come. But what's interesting is that word ekmaso isn't just there, in John's gospel, it shows up somewhere else. And when I noticed it, when I noticed it, it was like a whole new world opened up for me. What if what Jesus does there has a backstory? What if what happens in the story we're about to read shapes who Jesus chooses to become? Let's read together in John chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Jesus is about to enter, is just about to enter Jerusalem. And before he does so, he goes to his friend's house, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And let's read what happens there. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet and ekmasoed his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now, he had said this, not because he cared about the poor, but, well, what, because he was a thief. He, he kept the common purse and used, and used it to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, 
leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The word of God for the people of God. Well, I needed a good, strong ekmaso. I needed a good, strong scrubbing and a long, hot shower to get everything off of me that had been caked on me. Some of you may know this. Before uh, I served as senior minister at South Elkhorn, I was a youth minister in several different churches. And at one of these churches I served, um, I was involved in uh, some youth group activities that, well, at the end of which, I needed a shower. You see, what happened was, at the beginning of the school year, at the beginning of the school year, students would come from all different schools and would gather together for the beginning of the program year, of the youth group program year. And what's true of teenagers is also true of adults, and that is that sometimes there are cliques. Sometimes we're scared to get out of our comfort zone, especially when there are new people and a new setting. Sometimes the summer disconnects us in ways that it's hard to reconnect when we gather together again. And so I'm grateful, I'm grateful that I have a, I'm married to a creative person who was involved in the youth ministry uh, at the church that I served, Rebecca, who had this wonderful, crazy, awesome idea that we were going to make Sundays. We were going to have a game night and we were going to make Sundays, but not the kind of Sundays you eat. We were going to make human Sundays. So we bought the ice cream, we bought the toppings, we bought the whipped cream, we bought the cherries, and we created human Sundays. And the bold youth who wanted to become the Sunday had the stuff piled onto them and the adults, the youth leaders who were part of it were not exempt from participating and they participated too. I participated. And by the end of that Sunday experience, I looked a little like this. Of course, that wasn't the only game that was played at Messy Game Night. We also played Condiment Twister. Wait, what? That's right. Instead of the red, yellow, and various colored circles, we had ketchup and mustard and relish on a giant tarp and you had to figure out how not to slide and it was disgusting. It was gross. And one might argue, it's kind of wasteful. I mean, wouldn't that time, energy, and money be better spent caring for the poor? I want to take Judas's question seriously. I want to take Judas's question seriously. Even if the Gospel of John gives us every reason to write off Judas's question. I mean, after all, he would be the one who would betray Jesus, so can we really trust, you know, this guy? After all, the real reason he was asking this question was because he was the treasurer for the disciples, and if they sold this expensive perfume to the poor, then that money would go into the common purse, and, well, we all knew what Judas was doing. He was taking from the common purse. He wanted all that money so that he could take some of it before it was ever given to the poor. But if we set that question aside we set the question of his motives aside and just engage honestly his question, well, isn't he right? Isn't it kind of wasteful to pour out this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet? Isn't it wasteful to play gross, messy games? Why couldn't that money, not a giant sum, but not an insignificant sum with respect to the games, be put to use caring for unsheltered people, for poor people? Well, I want to suggest this morning, suggest this morning that the way Jesus answers this question is incredibly important. Jesus doesn't dismiss the poor. 
It might seem like that because he says the poor you will always have with you. But Jesus, where we want to see an either or, Jesus embraces a both and. Indeed, I would share with those who are a little concerned about the messy game idea, and there were some folks who didn't want to participate, that was fine. But I explained that the reason why we do the messy games, the reason why we play these games is to break down barriers, to invite people into a safe kind of risk, step outside their comfort zone, connect with someone new, have a shared experience they can lean on when we have important conversations in youth group and in youth ministry. And because, and because the very next Sunday, the youth were invited before church to come and make a meal, travel down to the riverside and provide a hot meal and a listening ear to our unsheltered friends who we served once a month. Because it wasn't either or, it was both and. And because there were people who showed up on that Sunday morning who might not have ever showed up if they hadn't made the connections, had the fun, or felt safe with these youth leaders just the week before. What we realized we were doing with these messy games was shaping lives and investing in the future. We were creating the conditions for young people to grow and learn and to step outside their comfort zone. Because it wasn't either or, it was both and. And it's interesting, what Jesus says to Judas, what Jesus does in defense of Mary, he says, the poor you will always have with you, Jesus knows scripture inside and out. And sometimes he lets us know he's quoting scripture. He says things like, you've heard that it was said, or it is written. That's not what Jesus does here. He just alludes to scripture. So we have to have a discerning ear to know that in Deuteronomy 15.11, we read this. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, since the poor you will always have with you, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. The very scripture Jesus alludes to suggests not ignoring the poor, but continuing to embrace the plight and the need of those in the world. Jesus isn't excusing his disciples from service to the world. No, Jesus is saying it need not come at the expense of what Mary is doing right now, both and, not either or. Both and. Not either or. Indeed, I wonder, indeed, I wonder if maybe at the heart of discipleship is this difficult, difficult thing for us to do. And that is accept love. Accept that we are loved. Accept that we are loved no matter what we've done or where we've been or the difficulties we've had to go through or the grief that we carry or the questions that are on our hearts and minds. Accept all the way down that we are fully and finally and freely loved. And if Jesus is truly human, fully divine, fully human, truly human, that I wonder if Jesus doesn't know that struggle too. And I wonder if the beauty of this story is that Jesus lets himself just be loved. He accepts the love of Mary, her devotion poured out. You see, the disciples, 
As we see in the gospel accounts, our, the male disciples are often jockeying for the, what I would call the, the post-glory position. You know, when Jesus ascends as they think he's going to do into some kind of earthly throne, throne they want to be at his right hand or his left hand. They want to they be in a place of privilege and position and power. And so one might read the way that they are ministering, that the, the way that they are following, the way they are there with Jesus is for this long game in mind and can't fully, truly just be present with Christ in all his vulnerability in all his fragile human character. And what does Mary do? Mary freely shows up, the disciple that Mary is, the exemplar of faith that Mary is, and is fully present with Christ in all his vulnerability, his woundability, his fragility, and pours out this expensive perfume on his feet, a symbol of his forthcoming burial, a lavish gift on the feet of the one who went where? To people who were hungry, to people who were in need, to people who were exploited, to people who were rejected, to embrace Jesus, to devote oneself to Jesus, to pour out this perfume on Jesus' feet is to embrace the very character of Jesus' ministry, which includes the poor and the hurting and people in pain. Mary isn't rejecting the poor. Jesus isn't rejecting the poor. It's a both and in which Mary is fully and finally present in a way that the disciples struggled to be. And I wonder, I wonder if Mary doesn't so impact Jesus in this moment that he's not only willing to go to great lengths to defend her in front of Judas, but receives this in such a way that it impacts how he demonstrates his love to his disciples. It impacts him so deeply that that's what he wants to do with his male disciples there in the upper room when he says, love one another, let me show you how, the way Mary loved me. And he ekmasos the disciples' feet, just as Mary had ekmasoed his feet. And Jesus is dirty, besandled, exhausted, tired, worn out, cracked feet were given the love and the attention and the symbolic care that Jesus accepted as each and every one of us needs to accept. That we are loved. That we are loved extravagantly and absurdly and beautifully and at the heart of of discipleship is a willingness to accept that we are loved. And if we're going to follow in the way of Jesus, Jesus doesn't just show us how to give love. Jesus also shows us how to receive love. See, what Jesus knew is that he was truly and fully human, that he was fragile, that he was vulnerable. And that meant that he needed to be poured into too. He needed time away to rest and recover. He took that time. And he also needed to hear and experience affirmation, affirmation from God in prayer. You're my beloved at his baptism. And yes, Mary, who is an exemplar to all the other disciples, the other disciples in the upper room who had to be shown what love means, Mary freely knew and poured out this perfume on Jesus' feet and ekmasoed his feet. You're vulnerable too. 
you are fragile too. You and I, we need love. And part of the adventure of faith is trusting that when someone says, I love you and I care about you and that you mean the world to me, is accepting and receiving and believing it all the way down. And so as we journey toward the cross, as Jesus journeyed toward the cross, as we go through the season of Lent of introspection and confession and repentance, I want you to know all the way down, no matter what you've been through or what you've done, no matter what you carry or the challenges that you're facing, that you are loved fully and finally and freely And when it may seem like it's just a big, giant waste, know that Jesus knows a different story, one that you're a part of. And so the question today isn't whether or not you're loved. It's whether or not you believe it. Thanks for listening to the message this week. Visit southelkorncc.org where you can download reflection and discussion guides to dig deeper into the weekly scripture message.